the moral of the story is just really being open to like creative exploration with what you're testing on the platform and not being afraid to test something that may seem like a little bit of a wacky idea. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I'm Tom Meredith, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11, and I'm joined by our amazing part of our amazing meta team, Oha, Courtney, and Landon. Thanks for joining today as we talk about what's working now with meta and, and social advertising in general. How's everybody feeling? Really cool. Yeah, great. doing great, doing great. <laughs> yep. How are you feeling about uh, meta ads these days? Uh, positive, negative? What's the general sentiment that you have working in ads manager? I think that for myself, it was interesting kind of as we were chatting before we came on air, it wasn't a unanimous decision in terms of how everybody was feeling. But for myself, January and February were really good on platform. I noticed a lot of uptick in results across platforms. And I've definitely noticed end of February coming into March, like a plateau and a slight decrease, like rise in CPMs and things like that. So it's definitely not as good as it was maybe 30 days ago for myself. Yeah, as always, for some businesses, January and February are the best months of the year. So definitely it has an impact on overall performance. But it's like spring. So for some other businesses who are related with spring offers and all of that, the best season could happen right now. Yeah, yeah same. I've seen pretty nice stability, which is good. I think my only current complaint is the ongoing question of attribution. It's just... It's make things tricky and it may impact some accounts more than others as far as how effectively we can optimize based on just what we're seeing in platform and with any third-party tools we're using as well. The tricky bit. It's the going concern, right? <laughs> Always attribution. So is, it, is there any sort of variation between e-com versus digital or service offers or lead gen as far as performance or is it over, across the board for you, Landon? It was fairly across the board. I found January, February was fairly solid. I have... A slight mix between kind of e-com offers, lead gen offers, SaaS offers, and kind of the started to notice the CPM starting to rise. And that definitely, you can almost track back changes in performance directly back to the rise in CPMs on some of our accounts. But yeah, I would definitely say on some of the small accounts that I run as well, I've seen a slight decrease in performance, but nothing out of the ordinary that's got me concerned at this point. Yeah, our lead gen accounts that were I mean, about some coaching or new year, new start, new me, all of that really tends to perform really cool during January and February. So this year wasn't exclusion. It's, the performance was great for all of them. So probably it's more for Legion, specifically for offers that help you to change your life, to improve your life, to make it better. But basically you could position any offer with this angle. So definitely it's good testing theory. Yeah, there's definitely predictability in some of these businesses. And if they're multi-year businesses, hopefully these are all expected trends. Yeah. What's working now for you with Meta or any other platform? Who wants to go? Lately, I noticed unusual trend because before we didn't have success with this idea. So lately, we noticed among the best performing creatives that majority of them are carousel ads which is a bit unusual. Before we tested them, but usually still images and videos were outperforming them. But what I see lately among both lead gen and e-commerce that different types of carousel ads 
And if we talk about placements, I see this performing better on Instagram specifically, that carousels with a mix of your products or offer or carousel with details about one specific product or offer are both both of these options are performing really well. I know that it's a new trend, so I definitely recommend all of you to try that, to create a few carousel ads for your brand and try it. I got a question regarding that, Oha. With the carousels that you're running, for the imagery, are there more just a simple like product focus or is there like tech talking about the benefits, having hooks in there in terms of like how they're actually positioned for people? Yeah, so I saw different options. I saw the option where we just pack different products in each carousel has the product and like small, some short taglines with benefits. And also I saw carousel ads with text only. Even that could perform really well without even showing the product itself, just text. It could be testimonials or it could be some unique selling positioning like our benefits so it depends so i would say it it depends on the product on offer on audiences usually but definitely if i would be testing that now i would just launch a few variations and see what will perform the best no that's interesting it kind of seems like there's a trend that and this is kind of like my own personal philosophy it's a lot of these things i see mirroring like organic trends as well. And it's almost like a time on site thing where the carousels, you're getting people swiping, they're spending more time on ads and they seem to be performing a little bit better. Plus it's like light shopping. They're able to like swipe through the feed without leaving the platform. So that's really interesting. It's definitely something that I'm going to take a look at for my accounts. It's been a while since I've run any sort of carousel ads. Does uh, <laughs> Meta, this is like a super basic question. Will Meta just take the images that you put in and optimize their position in the carousel? Or do you have to set the position? You could set and you could also choose the option that the best performing card will be shown as first one. Or you could either add this option or remove. Any other thoughts on carousel ads? We found one interesting thing that we thought is not working anymore, that actually there is an option if you're creating carousel ads to grab the content from the landing page and add it to the carousel ads as collection. We tried this like this week for one of the customers because they were doing this before. We weren't able to find this function, but then we <laughs> spent some time and were able to do that. And it's really interesting experience because you don't have to upload all creatives. Basically, Facebook could just use the landing page and creatives from landing page. If you have a collection page, for example, just the page with different products, it's possible to do that with meta ads. Is that pull from your like your homepage or only within Meta? It's you're adding landing page and from that landing page Meta could get the creators. Wow, that seems pretty impressive. Yeah. And did you have much success with that? Our customer, yeah, that specific customer had success with that, but we didn't test it for other customers yet. It depends. For some products, collections might look really appealing and for some others it might be not that. Cool. As always, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in my mind, somewhat similar to Carousel is this newish multi-advertiser toggle. Can somebody explain what that is since I've gone to the extent of my knowledge with it? And if you have, are turning it on or off within your ads? 
So with the multi-advertiser ads, this is something that the last time I was on the show, Cameron was talking about how he was seeing some really great success with it. So at the ad level, there's just like a little checkbox that says multi-advertiser and you're able to check that offer to uncheck it. And effectively what it does is it will show your ad along with competitor ads. So this is something where that might be a decision where brands may not want their ad to show up in that format alongside of other advertisements and things of that nature. So this isn't something that I have done any direct split tests on, but I know in discussions with Cameron, he had been running tests where he was showing improved performance using it. So it's something that I've been leaving checked on, but I haven't run any direct comparisons to be able to draw that feedback for myself. That's really interesting to me too. I think just that question of kind of brand safety, depending on where your ads are going to show up and with what other ads and whatever they're doing. And I tend to to want to trust that Meta is going to not show them with anything that would really be problematic. But depending on the brand, some may have more concerns about that than others. I'd be interesting to test it for sure. I think that's just like in the back of my mind. It seems like it would make more sense for e-com offers. I'm happy to be challenged on that. But like when you would think of it in terms of multiple different products that you know work well together, mm-hmm. that would make sense as a multi-advertiser. But Yeah, for example, oh. if you're planning a wedding, you will see there are some flower shop, then probably some shop with dresses, then maybe some event planner and all of that. It will make... Idea is really cool. Then basically, if people have specific intent to buy some products for a specific event or something, they have some specific in mind. Usually it would be easier to convince them that they need this additional product to support the main product. So yeah, it's great initiative from Meta. Yeah. And I think there is also the way that you're viewing the opportunity because you can view it in a negative sense of oh, my at my competitors or other products are going to show alongside my ads. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, there's opportunity there because now your ads are going to show alongside complementary ads as well. So mm-hmm. there is increased visibility depending on how you want to approach the situation. You could pull out negatives from it, but there is also a lot of opportunities from a positive side as well. Yep. It's a microcosm of meta itself because... The whole feed is a multi-advertiser ad. So you're always going to be showing up against somebody. I may as well get in there sooner and faster. And like you mentioned, Landon, show up against your competitors or against complementary products. Trust that that you got a good enough offer that people are going to purchase from you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Something else that I saw you posted in our What's Working Now channel, Landon, was creepy works. Can you explain that and tell us how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So just to give everybody some context, we launched some new creative for one of our clients and the wife of the CEO of the company sent a message to one of the marketing managers saying, I can't believe we're running this ad. She's like, it's creepy. But the most interesting part was the follow-up to that was how she outlined how she literally stopped scrolling in her feed and read the entire ad to be able to see what was going on. I think this is a sentiment to the importance of creative testing and testing new ideas, testing things that are going to be completely different. And with this ad specifically was effectively like a split screen image. So one half had a slightly different design than the other half, but it was split down the middle of someone's face. And we used it as a way to articulate like a before and after in terms of this was in, in the space of people getting jobs. So it was like your income that you're currently getting now, the income that you could possibly be earning in the future with your employment. 
And with that being said, the design that ended up being the finalized product had slightly different facial expressions. So it really stood out as odd at first glance in the feed. But if we're trying to think of the way that people use Facebook, it's interruption-based marketing. Mm -hmm. People are on there for entertainment purposes. We're just trying to capture their attention. And the more that we're able to capture their attention can potentially be an advantage of just getting them to stop scrolling, actually pay attention to the ad. So that's something that worked out really well for us. There are times where things like that may also garner a lot of engagement, where people might start commenting on the ad because they might think it's creepy. Now, that could definitely go to the negative side as well. I completely acknowledge that it can backfire in some cases. But ways to stand out, this is also something I got off the call with two meta reps this week where they were talking about creative differentiation and combating creative fatigue with not just maybe changing a headline on the specific image, but having vastly different creatives to stand out in the feed and attract different segments of your audience. So I think the moral of the story is just really being open to like creative exploration with what you're testing on the platform and not being afraid to test something that may seem like a little bit of a wacky idea, something that in this case, the wife of the CEO is, what are we doing here? And then it was like, the results speak from themselves. Like the results are doing really well for this ad. So it was really cool to watch that journey of this ad getting approved, (laughs) the client themselves saying, this is pretty creepy, but we'll keep running it because it's working really well. I love that. Yeah, sometimes I think really unusual could perform and you'd never expect it. (laughs) I got permission from a client years ago to run. Basically, it was like a funny dog video, but I skewed it into an ad and it was probably my favorite ad I've ever created. I was getting to make creative a little bit at that time and can't say the ad performed really well, but I think it was a good experience in just being able to test something completely different and the client being cool with it. And that's the key part, the clients being cool with it. I remember I was making ads for a company that was selling face masks, like really expensive face masks back in the day. And they had no photos, just plain face masks on white background. So I had this idea of taking all these old classical paintings that had no copyright issues anymore because they're public domain and just Photoshopping the face oh, mask on. And that's a cool idea. It was so cool. It looked so good. And then she came back. It was not cool. She's like, these are dangerous. They're going to hurt our brand. I'm like, first of all, you don't have a brand. You're selling face masks. But they look so good. I'm so proud of them and sad they never saw the light of day. (laughs) You have to try this stuff. And it's really important, I think, especially on the creative side, to think of your ads as part of the Facebook feed. Anything that you would do for social to get high engaging social is what you should be doing in your ads. They are not separate. The algorithm doesn't really treat them separate. And maybe it optimizes for the action at the end. But really, it wants to entertain people, keep people on platform, keep people watching and engaged and stuff. So that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure if anybody follows the YouTuber Mr. Beast. So he's the most followed YouTuber on the planet. He's got over 100 million subscribers on YouTube. And there's a comment that he makes, and he always tells people to replace the word algorithm with person. Mm. You're optimizing for people. So trying to replace the Facebook algorithm. You're trying to optimize this for people. And in some instances, something that looks very native, organic, is going to perform better. But sometimes there's going to be something that is just completely out of left field, interrupts people, gets them to stop scrolling, where that's going to work as well. That's why the first three seconds of your video ad is so important because you're trying to retain their attention. 
Yeah. Usually when we have a decrease in performance, I always recommend like all media buyers, let's start thinking out of the box. Let's come up with some fresh ideas that are out of the box that we never tried before, because this could be the thing that will change everything and bring us our performance back. That's real pleasure working with customers who approve like this attitude and they are comfortable with testing new things. That's why this job is so exciting. Definitely requires some trust between media buyer and client. Yeah, definitely. But it's also like you're talking about OHA, out-of-the-box ideas. It's important for us as advertisers to be consumers as well. You should be on all the major platforms exploring them, seeing what shows up in your feed, what you gravitate towards, even if it's not an ad. What sort of TikToks are really showing up in your feed? There's so much inspiration out there. And if, if you just treat this as a job that you go to nine to five, do all the work and never go online to see what's actually going on in the world, you're going to be at a disadvantage. But yeah, Mr. Beast is pretty amazing. And the episode he did with Lex Friedman is like super insightful for how he works and spends all the money he makes back on his videos. Yeah, like spending over $100,000 on a thumbnail and just think of when we're doing creative testing on Facebook, the power of creating an ad that can work, it's definitely worth testing and investing in that creative process to come up with those ideas. I really like our new process of developing basically creative strategy based on the pillars of your business. So it's really exciting. We are working on this project for one of our customers. And so far, it's really helpful because it helps us to come up with not one new idea. It's basically the box full with fresh ideas, fresh angles, and you just can't wait to start testing. Yeah, it's really, um, really cool thing. So talking a little bit about like getting customers on board with ideas, what's that process like? It depends because some customers, they just really enjoy working. If you build the trust, as Landon mentioned, then we're okay with everything. We rely on you. We know you're professionals, but before you basically come to that mindset, it's a long road. You need to show that you're professional on the one hand. On the other hand, you need to show that you're listening to them and their wishes. So it should be like some wise combination of yeah, I know how to do these things, but at the same time, I hear you and I want your ideas to be there too. So it's challenging. Sometimes it's, let's give us just a small budget to to test this and then it's working and we're like, yeah, let's scale it. So in most cases, we could find a solution. It's not, no, we definitely won't test this. I think it could also be helpful to present them with their competitors' ads or just ads you see out there that show a lot of creative variety and can help them understand like one format of creative is maybe not in their best interest and there's more going on out there that they could be taking advantage of as well just in terms of variety of creatives. And I think especially if you're keeping an eye on their competitor ads and you see something interesting going on there, then they might be like, oh yeah, I should probably be doing a bit more (laughs) or be letting you guys lead me to these new ideas that could compete with the variety that's out there. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great point, Courtney. There are so many elements to it. And I think a lot of it comes down to just having transparent communications with your clients when you're having these discussions. So just like you were saying, having the ideas and inspiration to try new things, communicating where and why these ideas are coming to life, whether it was we saw a competitor ad or we have a spy tool that we can see the level of engagement that this ad has. For YouTube, I have a software called VidIQ where I can see engagement rates 
from their own proprietary formula for TikTok videos. So I can see which TikTok videos have higher engagement rates or what's trending in the TikTok ad library or the Facebook ad library. And then what your goal is that you're trying to achieve through testing this. Hey, we want to try this crazy wacky ad because we have and anticipate that it's going to provide us a increased click-through rate, which could then in turn improve our results. There's always going to be different clients where you never know the number of stakeholders at play. Some clients you might have just one person you're communicating with, they give you complete trust and creative control to do what you want. Some companies you might have eight people on a Zoom call every week for the marketing meeting, and there might be one person that doesn't want to have buy-in for that idea. So the more you can communicate in those instances, I think the better. And there's a lot of clients that, like Courtney was saying, they're following their competitors' ads as well. So when you can come to just some ideas that they're already thinking about and considering can really help that process. Yeah, also our customers are asking us what is working for other brands, like their accounts. So it's also helpful to show, okay, we tested this for a few other accounts and we believe this will work for you as well. So it's really helpful because they want to know what's working for others. Yeah, we want that too. It's always storytelling, at least for me, like you have to tell your client the story of how you came to this decision. If you just drop something like a creative on them without any sort of reasoning or why you are making this way and what you think the outcome will be, that's the biggest challenge. I think they have to tell themselves a story and you don't want them telling themselves the story. You want to control the story just like Mm -hmm. you would through the ads and all the way through the funnel. Like you're telling a story, walking somebody from where they are to where you want them to be. And it's even with your clients, you're always selling your ideas and what you want to try. And Yeah, I agree with you about the story and explain why do you want to achieve that. We just had this example with a customer where we suggested to make changes in the opt-in form. And for his current opt-in form, he used basically 10 or maybe even 12 questions. Some of them were not easy to understand. You need to spend some time to understand. And then some of them were not really that valuable. And we were trying to say, okay, that's not actually that important for opt-in form. We recommend to use as few as possible fields for better conversion rate and so on. After like few discussions and questions, I understood that he misunderstands the whole concept of opt-in form. He was treating that form as a way to learn more information about your customer and not to get signups. So that's why I explained to him that's not that this sign-up form is not like a survey. It's more like for you to pre-qualify the customer and understand if you want to get on the call of them or no. And your survey, but yeah, it's important for you to know some information before the call. You could just send that survey one day before the call through email or through SMS. That's why I agree with you, Tom. It's so important to explain like if we just bring this, put this in Slack and say, okay, here are our recommendations probably he wouldn't implement any of this because he just he would just say okay why i should do this i need to know this information but we hopped on the call started explaining how is this has an impact on conversion rate how is it impact on cost per schedule call and why he doesn't need all of these fields and then he understood that it's a completely different thing it's important to communicate. That's his uh, customer journey there is also the story, right? There's people going through that weren't ready for the 
grand finale of this giant survey. Like they just needed the next step. There's a pretty amazing video out there from Trey and Matt from South Park, how they go through story. And you should never be, and then. You don't go from one idea and then the next idea. It's always, but and therefore. Here is your opt-in form. And therefore, I know you're interested, so I can send you this bigger survey. And therefore, you filled that out. I know that you're really engaged. And on this next call that we're going to have, we can have a really deep conversation because we don't have to go through all this stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. The big win this week is yours, Courtney. Talk about how you took one of your customers who has 20 different offers and used something to really improve their lowest performing ones. The special something. Yeah. Oh, I got to give all credit to Landon for this idea for sure. And when he mentioned it, I remember thinking, I don't know, that's not how I've heard of that special something being used before in the past. But yeah, it's been crushing it for us. As Tom mentioned, we have an account, Spit Unique, where we're running 20 plus concurrent offers all at the same time. And historically, these have always run in their own ABO campaigns to cold traffic. And for the most part, most of these offers perform really well, but we've always had a handful that have just struggled and changing messaging and trying to really make sure we're speaking to the audience in the correct way, making changes on that and testing new targeting, et cetera, just haven't really been able to get these to work no matter what changes we've made so far. So Landon brought up the idea about how about we take all of these lower performing offers. And instead of having them running separately in their own separate low spending campaigns, combine them all into a CBO. That's the special stuffing is the CBO campaign. All I did was basically took our best performing audiences and ads for each of those offers that weren't performing super well in the ABO and just duplicated them right into the CBO. Because they're combined, we can run with a little bit of a larger budget. It's just more room for the algorithm to disperse the money in the way that it thinks is going to be best. And the caveat to this is that we don't have a budget we need to hit for each of these offers. So it's okay that the CBO has the freedom and the flexibility to spend where and when and how it wants to across these lower performing offers. It took these offers that had been difficult for a good long time and increased ROAS by over 100%, basically. And it's been running for about close to two months at this point. It's been pretty stable. It's just been totally crushing it in a way that I definitely didn't initially expect. It also started off really well. And I thought, I've seen CBOs when I've tested them in the past. I've seen them start off well and then become extremely volatile or just go completely down the drain within a few weeks. And this one started off strong and it's continued to be strong. Definite win and completely not what I would have expected, maybe having been stuck in this sense of that CBOs are meant for scaling your winners. That's always what I had thought and heard coming out. But but yeah, definitely an unexpected giant win for this account and interested to just see what other funky situations we can make a CBO help us with. Did you just duplicate the ads into that CBO? Yeah, I went into our ABO for those offers and just grab the best performing audience, best performing ad set and the ads that were doing well in that ad set and just pop them right into the video. I use that the same thing. I always pick the best performing ads and combine them with the best performing audiences and launch it as CBO. You know, like best performing plus best performing. <laughs> yeah, and I would think that would work. I just had always thought that that's for stuff that has been winning already. And the when I say best performing since these were our the offers that had struggled so much, they didn't feel like they were that good performing to me because they were still struggling. And I thought, well, are they just going to struggle now in a CBO campaign that's spending more? The basic logic of 
whatever seems to be winning in some way, chuck it in a CBO and see what happens. That, that seems to get us good results. How broad or narrow are the audiences that you're using there? That's a good question. It varies just depending on what was working. I've been testing super broad audiences in these campaigns. I've been testing more narrow interest-based audiences, sometimes splitting out men and women a little bit as well and age ranges. So it definitely varies, but just whatever was working, sometimes that was a super broad audience. Sometimes it was a much more niche audience. It seemed like it might have a pulse before. Is what I, talked in. I know Cameron is a big proponent of CBO DCO. Have you tried that yet? Not in this particular account. I believe I had tried it previously, but hadn't gotten much traction there myself. But I think it's definitely something worth, worth testing, handing the reins a little bit more over to the machine learning and seeing what happens. So we've talked quite a bit about testing here. I've thrown the word out a little bit. There's been some A-B testing and then some DPO-ish testing. How are you guys thinking about testing these days? And how do you know what wins and what doesn't? In testing, I wish that I had a definitive answer to it. <laughs> when it comes to testing, there's so many different things when I'm approaching an account that can be tested from audiences to specific demographic details to the creatives to the post-click things that we can be testing. It's really interesting when Olha mentioned the form, the first thing that popped into my head was had a client where part of their funnel was like a quiz funnel, but they had like a 70 to 80% drop-off after the first question. And just like reordering things in the survey can create such a big difference. Mm -hmm. But I think testing strategy is going to be unique to the specific context of the situation that you're in. Before we jumped on air, we were talking about A-B testing. So there is one instance where on account with Courtney, where we're testing different conversion optimizations. So this is like a direct duplication of the campaign, the ad sets and the ads are all completely duplicated just with the conversion event changed between those two. So we're running that as an A-B test because we don't want to cannibalize ourselves. We don't want to have any audience overlap. We want to try and create the cleanest distinction of that. But when it comes into things like creative testing, the creative testing approach is usually a little bit different where we might put different images up against each other that are distinctly different hooks to see which hook resonates the most with the audience. Even within that, you get these little things where maybe Facebook gives all the spend to one ad and three out of the four ads don't get any spend of significance to really be able to determine if it worked or not. So it's matching the science and the art of it. And I do feel that my own personal opinion, there's like a little bit of intuition that kind of comes into it with creating a testing strategy and then interpreting the results to the best of your ability with the data that you have at hand. So I wish it was nice and black and white, but it definitely is not. Now, I know you were talking about testing a bit more and like dropping things in and see yeah. how it works. And it's not that simple. But. No, that happens if you have a lot of, for example, we start working with some clients and we found like a lot of creatives, like four, five, six, and we want to test all of them. We didn't know what will work better. Maybe it will be image, maybe carousel ads, maybe story, maybe it will be some product image, maybe testimonial. In that case, we choose different formats and add all of them to one ad set. And that's how we test. We 
just basically gives Meta the opportunity to choose the best one and then we'll proceed with that one. I remember before that we were having this discussion with Meta representative. They also mentioned that they see that performance is better for the asset where you have different kind of creatives mixed. So basically they recommend to have an image, then the video, so different variety, different creatives that targeted audience or person will see different kind of ads and different people are reacting to different hooks and type of creatives. That person will see first ads, it will be image, then next ad that could be like video and then carousel ad and they're like, boom, I like this one. That's why sometimes we proceed with this idea of testing a lot of different things. Sometimes we test the different hooks. So if we are going after specific audience and we believe that there are a few pain points that we know will work, we will try just to completely different hooks in ad copy and creative and put them in one ad set and then we will see if this audience will resonate with that or another specific hook. Nice. And I know, Kona, we were talking beforehand and you were saying like the importance of testing only a single variable. And how do you know when to do that versus when to test all of the variables? Like, how do you make those decisions? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it can depend on a few different factors. I think in a scenario where you're starting with a new account, it makes sense, as Oha said, to throw a lot of different things into the mix and see what works. And from there to maybe fine tune your testing and to try and narrow it down. Like if you test a, a combination of ads that look completely different formats, video, carousel, image, and one or two take off, then maybe, like I say, fine tune it from there and figure out, okay, what about that ad? Was it actually the image? Was it the hook? Was it the angle it was speaking to or anything? And then maybe take it from there. That would be my knee jerk. Yeah, we proceed with this process as like Courtney <laughs> described perfectly. Like when we begin and we don't know what could work or we don't have any proven like concepts, we want to get some traction and to understand in which direction we should move. We usually test really radically different things. Then we understand that we, okay, images are performing well. Now we need to figure out which one will perform better product image or maybe image with benefits or testimonials. We usually just test one wearable as you mentioned yeah one of the one of the cardinal rules that i try and follow with testing is always trying to think what answer are you trying to get from this test testing and just testing a bunch of different things for the sake of testing a bunch of different things i'm not a big fan of what are we learning from this what data point are we going to walk away from testing these four images or these videos from that is going to give us information to improve what we're doing moving forward. That's like probably one of the biggest things that I'm always chatting about with the team and the other media buyers is when we're testing, it's what are we learning? We need to be able to take data to our creative strategists to go, okay, what do we test next? Which hook is working? And if we're looking at everything we're doing and we can't determine what is working best, then we need to be more intentional with our testing methodology. Is it fair to say that deciding between a be testing versus letting we'll call it machine learning testing like it's a matter of how important that answer is or how big the variable is so in the example you gave landon it was about testing the conversion event that's a pretty important thing to know where is that cutoff between what is important to test for a b and what's not for testing the conversion event is something that is on like more of the technical side versus the kind of like the creative side where the creative side it's 
a little bit more AI driven, who it's resonating with. Obviously, the machine is determining who to serve a lead ad to versus a purchase event ad. But on the more technical side, I think you may be looking to gather more clean data. And it's not to say that you couldn't do creative testing in an A-B test. But I think that you're trying to see how those things compare to each other in a slightly different manner versus some of those more technical components like the conversion event or bidding strategies or some of those things where I would probably lean to personally, and this may change because this is just what's coming to me in this moment, but the more technical side, technical tests on an AB to remove that overlap because you're usually testing things that are structurally exactly the same against one another with a variable like the conversion event or the bidding strategy or one day click versus seven day click compared to the creative side, I would probably lean towards just letting the AI kind of make the decision. Also, I believe it depends on the amount of variables. Even with conversion event, we're pretty sure we will be optimizing for this event. And yeah, in some cases, like Landon and Courtney mentioned, we might guess like between two of them, but it's not five of them. Okay, we will be like view content leads, then signups, then purchases. So that's why it's logical. And with creatives, we have so many variations and so many options there that it would take really a lot. Just imagine that each time you will test creatives only with A-B testing and you don't have no idea what will work. Like just imagine type of creatives, then short, long ad copy, then testimonials versus like images, then for example, the versus product images, then images versus videos, then like it's thousands of tests. So that's why it's sometimes it makes sense. And I agree with Landon when it's something that really like text specifically this event or this event and you need to clear result to have clear result and clear answer, it's better to stick to A-B tests and yeah. The same with landing pages. For example, if customer wants to test landing pages, we always use split tests only, like A-B tests. We don't use any other kind of tests. That's just because like we have two variables and we want to find the winner. But with creatives, like, there are so many things there that we want to try. <laughs> so yeah, that's why we don't want to limit ourselves often. Are there budgetary considerations for A-B tests? Yeah, you also have to keep in mind that if you want to run clear A-B test by meta, you need to stick to the specific length of the test and it's not recommended to end it sooner. For example, if you could launch the test with a bunch of creatives and if you know the product, if you know that a conversion window is usually short, it's impulse, an impulse purchase after three or five days, you could even kill some ads if you want, if that's your goal. But with A-B test by Meta, you need to follow the rules, specific rules, and you need to dedicate the specific amount of budget. Any other thoughts on testing or any of the other subjects we've hit on today or any other new things that you want to chat about? Just always be testing. Should always be testing something. Things are always going to stop working at some point in time, so you need to be always working on trying to find new things that are going to work. Even they say this for landing pages, you need constantly work on improving your conversion rates and testing. The same is with meta ads. If you want to really always be growing and achieving success, you constantly need to test new things, new creatives, new hooks, new types of creatives, new audiences, everything that comes up to your mind. As Landon mentioned, that's working organically. You should try to apply it for your business and then test. Yeah, I think going back to a point Landon made as well, it's just that 
I think it's always good to keep in mind what you're testing should be informed by the data you already have and the insight that you already have. And so I think it can be tempting if, for instance, you're seeing ads begin to fatigue. Okay, we need new creatives. And then it can be tempting to just be like, okay, let's put all these creatives together and throw them at the wall and see what happens. You have to slow yourself down a little bit, look at what has been performing in the past, look at the signals you're seeing and allow that to inform the tests that you're going to put in place. Great. Oh, Oha, Courtney, Landon, thank you very much for hopping on today. I always enjoy going deep into the weeds here with the meta stuff. And we'll be back here in a month for next time with what's working now in meta. And if you enjoy the customer acquisition show, we go live every Friday. Please share with your friends and your coworkers. And we'll be back and see you next time. And if you are interested in working with Tier 11, you can go to tier11.com slash apply. And there's a big old pink button up in the top. All right, everybody, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.